Hello and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast. I hope the Rolling Stones don't sue us for this one. I'm Pete. I'm Bob. What's up, Bob? I'm uh, I'm good. As I as I just alluded to in our very brief pre-show convo, I am uh, I'm very full of some homemade breakfast burritos that uh, I was excited about. But then, as I was eating my third <clears throat> one, I was like, oh. I've got I got stuff to do tonight. I'm I'm like out. I'm ready to lay down. However, I am excited about today's topic. So uh, why don't we? Why don't, before we well, do, though, real, real how, quick, how are yeah. you? Hold oh, up. Yeah. I mean, so so I just want to make this clear. We're recording this at seven o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. And you made breakfast burritos for dinner. Yeah. And you made three of them. So when no, I no, no. When, so it was. It was like uh, make your own, you okay. know what I mean. All right. So I made a bunch, and there's there was a bunch of food left over. So so it was like it wasn't quite endless, but I, I have a, a small household, but with a growing you know small child who will eat a variety, a range, sure, a predictable partner who will <clears throat> eat about you know like one maybe two small ones. Okay, so I was like, all right, well, let me just make sure I have enough food, and then it was like, oh, there was more than enough food. And now I'm going in for my third. This was a mistake. That makes sense. I when I think breakfast burritos, I think like like big stuff to like big big boys. Well, they weren't that far. So let's see. I had breakfast potatoes, eggs, bacon on mine, shredded cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, uh, guacamole. What else am I forgetting? Something. Uh, diced tomatoes. Uh, sour cream, um, nice. Uh, black beans, yeah, um, uh, yeah. So they were they they were there was a lot going on. But um, hey, man, how was your evening? <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. Um, I met up with a friend. I got Peruvian food for the first time. Oh, how was that? It was delicious. Um, I had the best. It might have been the best shrimp ceviche I've ever had. Interesting. All right. All yeah. right. Well, we'll have to investigate this further. Yeah, it was kind of like Chinese food mixed with like South American Latin food. It was it was an interesting combo. But uh, that's really interesting. I was in. Huh. All right. All right. I'm I'm open. I'm open. Um, Pete, what are we talking about today? So, if you got the hint at the beginning, maybe you get the reference. We were talking about the band The Verve. And we're talking about their album, Urban Hymns, which was definitely their biggest record, came out in 1997. Bob, do you have any familiarity with The Verve? Uh, it's a bittersweet symphony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, of course, the single. I yeah. mean, that's, that, that was it. <clears throat> Had I heard this album before, perhaps briefly in whatever it was, 1998, you know, yeah. um, 97, wh- wherever it is. Uh, I had never given it true ears. I've certainly never given it adult ears. So, got it. Um, this was a semi-virginal experience. Cool. Um, for me, so I started going down the rabbit hole of uh, Britpop, like late high school. I was a huge Oasis fan. Then got into Blur, Pulp, Suede, all those bands. Um, yep. The Verve were obviously part of that. So. Um, I always had this record. I was a fan of this record. Um, that being said, I liked different songs at different times, and I I never felt like it was a perfect record. There was just like mm. there were, it was. I always thought of it as kind of spotty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But it definitely, definitely had tracks. Um, so I'm excited for this one because I got to give it the headphones listen for the first time in a while. Yeah, and I'm curious to hear what you think about it. So I think this should be fun. Yeah, I have um, I have some questions, like some precursors. Let's do it. Without getting because because I have some specific to songs and such too. But on a whole, would you classify this as strictly Britpop? See, I mean, I have an issue with the label Britpop, just like I have an issue with the label grunge and you know everything else that we've talked about. I feel like it's it's like an imperfect name for the whole thing. But I mean. Listen, there's similarities here to Oasis. There's similarities here to Pulp and Blur and all those bands. But, I mean, really, those bands were just rock and roll of a certain era, right? Yep. Like, generally speaking. So, 
Um, I guess I would classify it as Britpop if I had to. I mean, it fits closest to that category than anything else, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. To me, there's a few elements that feel maybe not inadequate. Like, like this is just on the fringes of that. And there's a few, there's some more like straight pop rock leanings, but like that's, it's called Brit pop. Right. Like, like there's some of that in it inherently. Um, do you find this record to be consistent? No. Me neither. I think we're going to dive into that in the tracks. Yeah. Um, which is, <laughs> First listen was like, weird, this is sort of jarring. Subsequent listens uh gave some different results, which was which was good. So um Yeah, I mean it's 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 fun in that way where I feel like for you for me over the years, like different tracks have kind of shown themselves in different way at different points. And you know, I appreciate different songs now than I did when I first started listening to it a while ago. It's it's definitely inconsistent, it's a little long. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it could, I'm, this is a a bit of a spoiler alert, but Mm. my ultimate analysis here is that had this been completely rearranged, it could be like almost a perfect record. Oh, uh, yo, uh, uh, spoiler alert. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, otherwise, I mean, and this is kind of not a spoiler, but we usually do this later. So don't go full on in because maybe we'll, we'll get there in the tracks too. Yeah. Is this record timeless or does it exist in a time and place? I think it actually kind of uh, transcends the 90s. Um, oh, interesting. I okay. think the production is really, really strong. And to me, it, it does not sound all that dated. Um, I think parts of it do in certain ways, but... Overall, I feel like, you know, if you compare this to, say, like a Blur album, I actually think that this age is much better. Um, You know what? I don't know that I disagree. There is still an element to me that this belongs to a time and place. Sure. Uh, and if it doesn't, well, we can break that out. So without further ado, Pete, the Verve, Urban Hymns, you want to go track by track? Yeah, let's let me let me give a brief oh, little yeah, intro yeah, here. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, sk- no, I'm I, skipping ahead. It's all good. I it's should the have breakfast just jumped burritos. In. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. Um, so, real quick, if you're not familiar with the the Verve, obviously, you know we mentioned they were part of the whole Britpop thing in the '90s. Kind of on the later, the later end of it is where they really got their shine. Although they were a band uh, starting in 1990, they put out two LPs before this. Um, Storm in Heaven, which was their debut album, which is much more of like a psychedelic rock record. And then their second album, A Northern Soul, is kind of a precursor to this one, just in that they it, it was still more on the psychedelic end, but mm. they kind of had more distinct like like songs there. Whereas the first record is 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 kind of like I've listened to it a bunch of times and I keep going back to it, but like there's no track there. It's just kind of like this psychedelic like piece. Yeah, right. Like um <laughs> that's such an interesting comment because there's certain elements and tropes of different, you know, use rock especially genres that you could literally do all the things that would be identifiable identifiable and go, "Hey, yeah, it's, it's like psych, you know? It's like yeah, but but are the songs good? Ah, no, not really. I don't even know if the songs <laughs> qualify. It's just like doing the things you're supposed to do. Right, exactly. Well, that's interesting. And, and that background actually informs uh, a little bit of this record. Um, yeah. Not a lot, but it, it gives some, um, some context that I needed, actually. So that's going to help shape some of the conversation. Yeah, and the other part that I think might shape it is they actually broke up after A Northern Soul. Um I believe Richard Ashcroft quit the band. Um, there were drug issues. There were personal issues. There was all kinds of issues. Um, and he tried to start the band with a new guitar player, but it wasn't working out. Um, so I think they kept that replacement guitar player, but then got the OG guitar player back. Um, Nick McCabe, I think his name is. And then they got together and did Urban Hymn. So this was like actually kind of a reunion record. 
Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, for sure. And then they actually ended up reuniting in the mid to late aughts and did a fourth album, which I don't recommend to anybody, frankly. <laughs> Although I wish I saw him on that tour. That would have been fun. But yeah, let's get into the track by track. Well, it's interesting because this album starts with the very first song, Bittersweet Symphony. So if you've heard a Verve, the Verve song, it's this, right? I think so, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's not not particularly close. This was not a... Not particularly close. At least, I mean, and I don't know. <clears throat> I can't speak across, across the pond. Um, but this song was huge. This was a pop hit. Yep. Um, is there any guitar on this song? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I think it's almost all um, string section. Yeah, it's uh, just samples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So um, there's so so. I think this is a really good song. It's it was a hit for a reason. Yeah. There's this really cool syncopation between the vocal like pitter pat and then the rhythm section. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. It's certainly a really good song. My question to you, and then I want to hear your thoughts on it, um, and to the audience, is, is is it as good as we remember? This song is so ubiquitous at this point that I have a hard time even like judging it. Um, it's just one of those songs that came out of a certain time that you still hear any number of places you could be walking around a Costco and this might come on, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's a great song still. Like it's one of those tracks that I don't get all that tired of hearing, but that being said, it's funny. Like I don't get tired of hearing it when I hear it out, but if I actively put this record on, I will skip this song. Interesting. You'll skip it. Okay. I'll just start on the second song sonnet. Because I've heard it so many times that I just, I'm like, I'm good. Right. And I think, so that's, to answer my own question, I do think it's as good as you may remember. If you haven't heard this song in 10 years, put it on, you'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. If you've, if you've heard it a lot, you, you, you can just skip by it. But it is good. And uh, it's attractive. It, it's, it's a great opener. It's a great opener. By the way, it's a like vocal vehicle because the dude sh- sh- uh, to me shows out a bit on this track and and like on a pure like singing ability operatic style it's not even his best performance on this record but there's a lot of personality that oozes out and i yeah. think that's part of what what caught the attention and why it made for like an unbelievable single for sure so um yeah it's it's a really good song it's it's interesting though because it's so much bigger than any of their other songs. Yeah. Th- then, oh, here comes the planes again. I think it's helicopters. Um, that it's... Um, Bob's in the middle of World War Three over there somehow. Yeah, yo, like literally the desk I'm sitting at is shaking. Um, <laughs> it's really weird, man. Um, look, I'm borderline surprised you can't hear it. Um, I, can hear like, I can hear like a buzz. Yeah, this time it's clearly a helicopter. Um, okay, so uh, it sets such a tone that, to me, um, it it made me ask a question. Well, I'll get to it. So, yeah, uh, no, I mean, song. you can't possibly disjoin this song from this record or this band. Period. I think what you're hinting at there, though, is something I was going to bring up too. Like, in a way, that this song is so big it almost does the rec- rest of the record a disservice yes, because it never quite like reaches this level again. I, and, and believe me, there are songs on the rest of the record that I love. Oh, I, I think like, there might. Yeah. Right. But, but, but it just like, it sets this tone that like, 
it's it's it almost in certain ways it almost sounds like a different band from the rest of the record ah yes yeah. um so that's where we'll we'll get to when we get through a few more tracks um and then the question i'll ask is hold on i actually phrased that or the question i will ask is when one song when the single is so big what does it mean? And if the people come to an album for the single and they're surprised by the sound or don't know exactly what to do with it, what does that mean? What does it say about the record? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I guarantee most of the CD sales on the Verve Urban Hymns were based on the strength of Bittersweet Symphony. And mm-hmm. people being like, oh, I love this band. Oh, I'm going to grab the record. I'm going to grab the CD. And, you know, even as early as the next song, which I'm excited to talk about, uh, things are not uh, the same, though we will discuss. I, yeah. I think there is a bit more um, connectivity once we get later on in the record. For sure. So last thing on this song, I'd be remiss to mention, this is the song, there's a huge story behind this, and this is what my reference to at the beginning of the episode was about. They were actually sued um, as a result of this song. Um, basically, as soon as it came out, I think I'm going to give the short version of it email me and correct me. I'm sure that I'm missing details, but like, um, they had, um, requested to sample the Rolling Stones song. Um, this is the last time. Mm -hmm. And they used really just like a piece of that song. It's like a piece of the string section or something like that. It's not even like a huge part of it. Right. Um, but that's part of the backing track. I guess they, thought they had approval it turns out they didn't have approval they released it anyway and as a result i think the rolling stones actually received 100 percent of the royalties of this song up until like two years ago um where i believe keith richards was like man they wrote the song just give them the money um wow, because, really? because apparently the rolling stones i think had like nothing like the rolling stones themselves had nothing directly to do with it it was just kind right. of this bureaucratic nightmare where like like Ugh. the Rolling Stones lawyers like took full advantage of it. And the Rolling Stones like themselves didn't even really know the deal. Um, because I think Keith Richards, even in 99, he said, he said it something again a few years ago, but even as early as 99, he was like, if they like wrote a better song with that piece, like it's their song, it's not our song, you know? So I don't know. That's amazing. And a lot of times <clears throat> I, I'd, I'd be curious about what the ownership uh, of the, you know, of the uh, the song looks like if they actually retain full rights or if there's other parties invested, et cetera, et cetera. If it's being sampled, it could be from a specific recording that is owned in part or wholly by an entity. And uh, sometimes that shit gets really messy. And I mean, yeah, this must be the last time, first of all, was a staple singer song first, I think. So like, wow. what are we even talking about here? Yeah, uh, we're talking about um, sonnet talking about practice. Sonnet. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, Spirit Suit Symphony. Sonnet track two. Um, what I think is a very brave second song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the energy. It's a big energy change. Go in. So, like, I love this song, but same. Going going back to my my point about needing a full kind of reengineering. Um, this song. It just the momentum changes at such a rapid clip for this song that it it's it's tough. Um, maybe I've adapted to it a bit more because, like I said, half the time I skip the first song when I put this on. Um, yep. And honestly, this doesn't make for a great opener of a record, so that's not helping me much. But um, it's a great song. I just I feel like the only thing is that it suffers from you know, coming right off the back of a uh, bittersweet symphony. Yo, here's the thing. It's so different though than bittersweet symphony. Um, that <sighs> I wonder what their, f- uh, faith in the songs were like, did they know bittersweet symphony was the track? Let's throw it for a song. Um, because if they did, they had to know like, Hey, we got to follow this up strongly. Yeah. Sonnet's awesome. Yo, it is it feels so much more like a seventies rock song to me. Sure. Um, I think there's a lot of that dripping and it's not just like seventies rock, but like, yo, low key, this could be a Neil diamond song. 
uh, in certain ways, like oh, something sure, off moods or something. The chorus and, is so big and like that yeah. string section, it's, it's really beautiful, but yeah, it could totally, it could totally and, fit into that. And who singer's name, please. So Richard I Ashcroft. Okay. Ashcroft full on. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened to weird moody sort of, we, uh, British guy, you're belting <laughs> on this one. Like your, 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 your range is on full display. And so if I was going to categorize this record into bittersweet symphony songs and not bittersweet symphony songs, this is not one. Yeah. But it's a, it's a track. This is a very a good track. song. Yeah. Like doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, and just, just kind of moves in a really nice way. And I like how it feels coming off bittersweet symphony because it is a hard right turn. You go whoop, change direction and you're into something different. I wonder how that goes down for everyone. But I think it was a good move, uh, at least for this song specifically. And when listening, I'm like, oh, man, it brought me back to, you know, 1997, 1998. If I had this CD, what would I have thought of hearing this as the next song after the hit? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I'm glad you like that transition. Yeah. I mean, because for me, it's it's a little too jarring, but but... I think it could work. I could see it. Well, and it, it, no, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think, and we'll get there, that it is jarring. Only could a song like this pull it off. And for that, I'm like, all right, you, you big kahuna. All right, go for it. Yep. All right, next. So anything else on that song? Because you love that song. That's all I got. I'm, I'm, all right. I just love it. All right. The Rolling People. Um, so I want you to go in on this one first. So this is another one. And and here we are. I don't think this particularly sounds like sonnet. Um, yeah. it's got, <laughs> or, and it certainly doesn't sound like bittersweet symphony. Yep. This is also a non bittersweet symphony track. Yep. Um, heavier rock elements. I think it's well done, but not breaking any ground. Yeah. That psych background kind of informs this a bit, but if we stop the record right here, we have Bittersweet Symphony, which feels 90s, some sampling, some uh, really interesting rhythm going on and, and percussion, uh, into Sonnet, which feels very 70s, into Rolling People, which feels like a very different kind of 70s. And at that point, I'm like, okay, is this record Sonic Salad? <laughs> Which you, yeah. you may have heard us use the term riff salad, where it's like, hey, there's just a bunch of different riffs and not necessarily a song going on. Sonic salad to me feels like, hey, you guys are at the buffet and you don't love anything, so you're just getting a spoonful of everything. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a great meal either. Um, so that on the first listen, I was like, eh, I'm not thrilled by this. But on my subsequent listens... This one was a grower. So this might be a grower, not a shower. Sure. Um, again, you get strong vocal work. I think there's nice range. And the guitars on this track are great. Great. Like, I actually think they show out. So I initially was like, eh, I'm marginal on this track. I wasn't really over. I wasn't. I was whelmed by it. But on subsequent listens, I'm like, okay, it's a good song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, the the Sonic Salad, I like that a lot um, because that's kind of, that is, uh, in a lot of ways, that's what this record kind of is. Although I think there's like three distinct categories that we can kind of get into. Yes. But, but uh, <laughs> Good identification. Yeah, this song is, to me, it's, there is that 70s psych going on that you mentioned, mm-hmm. but to me, it's a lot of like the like quote unquote baggy, stuff that was happening in like the late 80s with the stone okay. roses and happy mondays late, i could see that late 80s early 90s to me it's like this is this is them doing the stone roses fool's gold but like upgraded um oh, okay. so it's so it's not as much like super repetitive just like dance club vibe but it it has that feel but it also has like distinct verse and chorus going on as well yeah. um no, i really sure. really really like this song and actually one of the things too that I'll get into is this is a band I'm I'm maybe I've mentioned this on other episodes I don't even know but I always like listening to live versions of songs just to see how bands do things differently and this is a band that like I've never seen them live but a lot of songs on this record are like 
bigger than they sound on the record when they do them live. And this is like a banger live track, um, which uh, is cool. You know, um, people get stoked. They did it like second in the set, I think, on one of the live records I listened to. But like, oh, that's awesome. It's really cool. Like the energy's there. Um, but I really like this song. Again, it's just my my only critique of this one is the placement. I just I, I feel like I feel like the entire record. I'm not going to say it again because I'm, I don't want to repeat myself, but I feel like the entire record could be like reorganized and it would it would benefit yeah and i mean there's a couple ways you can do it in a more extreme way but the basically to me tracks two three four five six if you slide those to the back and starting with space and time move those right up yeah all of a sudden you have a more cohesive record and we could do some real arranging yeah but anyways um yo Here's the thing you said about when you said this record has a bit of that sonic salad element. Obviously, I feel that because I said it here. That's true of a lot of alternative records, yeah. Um, especially the more like mainstream or pop leaning, the ones that were trying to break it. Like it just felt like they didn't totally have a control of what their sound was, right? And so they just took a few different jabs and like hey we know this is a good song and people are telling us this is the single and it made me really curious about some of the the creative process um especially in the like post first wave alternative because to me alternative music nascently starts in the 80s actually you know and is born kind of out of the indian college stuff and it just needed a name that was a little more like well, this is getting bigger and we can't just call it rock because we also call Poison and Bon Jovi and right. Two Rock. And yeah. this isn't necessarily that, but it's, you know. Um, so so when it gets to this, the like mid 90s where it's long in the tooth and now there's bands who are just coming up being like, yeah, we're like, we're going for that like alternative sound. <laughs> what the fuck do you mean? You know, so right. Um, I was worried on first listen, especially that that's where we're heading. And I don't think that's true with this record, thankfully. Um, but I was worried that it was going to be full on Sonic salad where it was going to be like, Oh, there's like, you know, four or five distinguishable types of songs and a lot of forgettable stuff. Whereas the flip is there's a few different types of songs, which you can identify, but a lot of memorable stuff. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Uh, the drugs don't work. This So I think if if you somehow manage to not hear Bittersweet Symphony, this is the other song that you may have heard. Um, definitely the other bigger track, but not even a quarter as big as Bittersweet Symphony. That's right. Um, I think this is a great song. It's 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 along the lines of Sonnet. It has the same kind of feel to it. Yep. Um, 70s flair, I called it. 70s flair, sad boy banger, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> but I think this is a nearly perfect song. I love it. Um my my wife wanted me to say that the only thing that's wrong with this song is the the line about cats in a bag waiting to drown. She hates that line. Oh, but, that's a rough you know. one. I see it. I know. Yeah. Hard visualization. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Again, I, I said this one is in a way like Sonnet. It it doesn't totally sound like Sonnet, but it's in that same world where it's heavily influenced by seventies vocal rock. Yeah, the big like, orchestral you know, feel. Yeah. Um. And he's. Ashcroft is doing something vocally here that's even further afield than Sonnet or Rolling People from Bittersweet Symphony. So um, it's it was kind of interesting to hear that almost to the point where I started going, wait, 
who's writing what on this record like yeah you know i could tell it's the same vocalist but he, doing such a different thing it's you know you start to to question that kind of energy sure uh catching the butterfly so this one to me is along the lines of rolling people although i don't like it half as much um it's again like that stone roses happy mondays kind of baggy mm-hmm. dancey psychedelic feel yeah um i feel like it's a cool song overall um and this is another one that i i feel like the live versions that I've heard are actually like, like really engage me in this way that the recording doesn't. Um, I feel like this could have been a B side though. Honestly, I oh, like it. Like yeah. it, it adds variety to the record, but like, it's not crucial. And I no, not crucial. like, ultimately I think this record is longer than it needs to be. And I think that this could have been like a fun B side. So uh, yeah, I feel largely the same. It's a little bit of a groove song, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, it warbles. It's a little bit trippy. Um, I enjoyed it. Does it overstay its welcome? Nah. Yeah, it's a little long. It's a little long. And and more so, it's just like, you know, at this point, also, especially on first listen, I'm like, yo, this, this record's just not Bittersweet Symphony. And, you know, yeah. like, is this the great rock and roll swindle? Uh, because it was a bait and switch. Now we start to get back there. But yeah, um, this song is the first one where I'm like, eh, not necessary so i think we're on the same page let's jump into neon wilderness so this is just like a segue song i feel like it's completely unnecessary frankly for me it's it's if you do a segue it should like flow from one song to another and this one kind of just exists separate and apart and to me it contributes nothing yeah i think uh it's atmospheric it's airy it's the never kicks in song of the set yeah <laughs> where like you just put this in when so- when you know the guitar player needs to chill and get a drink and, yeah like, exactly you know it's it's not necessary so now we're at two in a row they're like Meh. yeah but i think and i'll start us off on space and time This is the song where I'm like, oh, okay. Um, the music really steps up here. The vocals kind of align, and it's for the first time since Bittersweet Symphony, it feels like if you like that song, you could also like this song. Um, and I really like this song. I yeah. actually was surprised by how much I liked it and felt like it was like, okay, this is what I expected more of. Okay. And now we're, you know, but we're at track six, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, before we got to it with something that is more familiar to what the, the hit single is. And, you know, it, as we've talked about the like rearranging the order or the flow of the record, would it have been better to lead like right into this from Bittersweet Symphony? Maybe not, to be honest, because it's not it's not like it's a sequel or anything, but um, it's not as strong as Bittersweet Symphony. But I really like the song. Yeah, no, I like that you said that because I I didn't quite like I I mentioned here that it's like more upbeat, it's a different feel, but yeah, you're right. It's it's more along the lines of Bittersweet Symphony, not exactly the same, but like it 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 has more of that feel than anything that's you know been on the record before it. Yes. Um, I thought that this would have, and I'm going to say this again in a few songs, but I feel like this could have been a really good closer to the record. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, there's like that big outro that I really think works at the end of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I think that's about it. I really like this song too. I just, yeah. again, I feel like it's in the wrong place on the record. Yeah. Um, Weeping Willow. Here we are. Another song more in line with the, the bittersweet sound. Um, 
rhythmic and moving. This song feels very of the time to me. Okay. And and like I'm fully in like, oh, okay, you know, this is this is what I expect someone who's all in for Blur, all in for Oasis, the other like big boys of the more the more popular British stuff at this point. Yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, this this lines up for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's funny. Th- so this is one of my two favorite songs of the record. Nice. Um and it's funny you say that because I'm thinking of now like like uh like the ballads like Oasis Don't Go Away or something like the oh the, yeah the big like sad songs. Like I think of this in that kind of category and you're totally right. It's 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 a certain song of a certain time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the outro, the like weeping willow, the pills under my pillow. I love that shit, man. I, I, I think this song is great. Um, it's a little more melancholy than um, bittersweet symphony. I think. Yeah. I but think like, so. but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's good. I like this one a lot. Yeah. I, I, I think- love the lush tones and like, yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, lyrically, this was one of the stronger tracks on the record too, by the way, I think, I think there's some fun wordplay throughout, but this one, I, I really liked some of the little, the little tricks and hooks they, they play with in the wordplay. Yeah. Ashcroft's a good lyricist, which like the brick pop thing, some of them were good. Some of them were not at all good. So, well, yeah. well, and it, it also plays into cadence. Like, how are you saying this clever thing that you're saying? Right. If it comes out clunky, like it doesn't matter how smooth the words are, you still look goofy. You know, if you can't <laughs> say the cool thing in a cool way, it ain't that cool, my guy. Yep. So, um, yeah, this is a cool song. Uh, the next song, uh, Lucky Man, big room song. Uh, this is a track that, like, if I was going to say, like, it's not my, I think, Space and Time or Sonnet is my second favorite. Well, might even be my favorite song on the record, one of those okay. two. Okay. Um, Lucky Man would be my second single, though. I would have made this the second single following Better Sweet Symphony. Over Drugs Don't Work. I think so. Interesting. I just think it has this like smooth, big room feel, um, especially just kind of as you flow through it. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think this is a great song. Um, to me, it feels like this, it's like the spiritual kind of brother to Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah. Um, it kind of just has that same like melancholy feel, but it's like this big song um, full of like, like it has, it has energy in a different kind of way, you know? Um, but yeah, cool song. Uh- all right, you know, you know what's really funny. So here we go. The singles from Urban Hymns. Bittersweet Symphony released June 97. Mm-hmm. Drugs Don't Work released September 1st, 97. Lucky, Lucky Man, Man okay. released November 24th, 97. I, th- I thought that was the case. Yeah. And streaming numbers. I'll, I'll give this to you on, on Spotify. One, guess how many monthly listeners The Verve has in 2022? Oh, geez. I can't even guess. Uh... 1.5 mil. 6.6 mil. Okay, yeah. Um, drugs Don't Work clocks in at 91 million uh, streams. Okay. Guess how many Lucky Man has? Drugs Don't Work has 91 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, 40000000 million. 102.9 million. Wow. And then guess Bittersweet Symphony. Uh, is it over a billion? No, no, no. It's 666.7 million. Okay. So it's it's approaching the Billy. How many songs have a Billy? I feel like it's like the weekend and no, that's it. No, it's 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 a lot more it's than a lot. you think. It's a <laughs> okay. lot. I was I came across something I was like that has a billion streams. Like <laughs> hold on. I, I got to find it. Oh, all right. So uh Smells Like Teen Spirit has 1.1 1. 1 bill. Okay. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me see this. This might be the the artist I was looking at. Um um, Eminem has at least two songs with a bill. Wow! Don't ask me why I have Eminem there. It just got in my head. Um, yeah. Uh, yo, shockingly low streams on the Willie Nelson material I was just listening to. Bomber. I know. Always on my mind. Only sixty-seven million streams. What are we doing, folks? I got to pay more attention to stream numbers because I now I feel stupid that. It- 
No, like, no. The amount of I, I was surprised because I knew the Verve like had a lot, but I don't even know what a lot is on Spotify. No, frankly, I don't so. either. It's it's like a weird thing to look at, but uh, do a podcast for a while. We start looking at these things. It's, yeah, it it's fun. All right. Uh, so we did Lucky Man. One day. found the median between sonnet rolling people drugs don't work catching the butterfly neon wilderness that sound and then the more bittersweet symphony tracks and this i was really pleasantly surprised by enjoyed it but also and someone might take this as a diss but i i feel like it's a compliment at times, there's moments in the song that remind me of like a TV theme song. <laughs> I, like, can, like, I can see that in a way. Like, does Gary Portnoy get get points on this record or something? Like, it's like, do, 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 do. Like, there's just a few chord progressions that I literally stopped and was like, wait a second. I got to listen to the Cheers theme song right now and see if this <laughs> is like the same exact. It's not. Yeah. But there's a very, uh, there's a parallel. So, um no, I enjoy it, and I think they f- they were able to come to a more unique sound on this song. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> oh. Is it better than some of the highs earlier? No, but it's a cool song. Yeah. I, I, it's a keeper for me. That's pretty much where I'm at. It's, it's a cool song. It does not reach the highs of other tracks. I think that this is another one that I feel like could have been a fitting closer to the record. Oh, okay, um, yeah, I can see that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to this one, but if it's on, I'm not turning it off. Okay. Um, this time. This is one of my favorites. This is my other favorite. <laughs> I love this song. It's going to work so well for my comments. Um, the beats and rhythm on this record are great almost throughout, I got to say. Mm-hmm. And I asked, is this a fun record to drum along to? <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's is it a drummer thing? I don't know. Uh, this song to me feels like a drummer's track. Yeah, like I was okay. listening to it, and literally, I remember exactly where I, I was as I was driving the last time I listened, and I was like, "I bet Pete likes this because this seems fun." Like I was like, <laughs> "If I was a drummer, this seems like a fun record." Because it's the record. Does it drag a little? Maybe a little long. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's a little long. But I bet if you were like, "Oh, okay, it's a hot day. I'm gonna work up a sweat and drum along to this." It would be a good cardio. It would be good, you know, drum workout, you know, get get all riled up to it. Yeah, it's a good um, vibe. Yeah, and it's got a good it's not like it's not like playing drums along to like a power violence record where you're just gonna blast. Right. It's like it's a consistent, like you're pacing yourself throughout the record. And, <laughs> you know, by the end of it, you're just kind of like on that bouncing tip. So yeah. no, again, a, a very solid song. This is one of your favorites on the record. Yeah, this is like top two. Wow, what's what's your number one? It's either this or Weeping Willow. I go back and forth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's funny you mentioned the beat. I never thought of that, but it, it is, the beat is like a hook to me. Like the whole thing, yes. I'm just like, I'm just in on it. But but I think the lyrics are super catchy. They're really cliche and like, they're not the most clever on the record by any stretch of the imagination. But like, but I don't know. I, th- I think it's such a catchy song. Um, it's just like, it's one of those songs where if it's on, I just want to turn it up and like, like dig it you know i just yeah. i don't know i just love this song i love so, it all right yeah velvet morning so i have a problem with this song kind of in the way that it Ooh. should be the closer but it's just not um it's not it's like i always think it's the closer when it comes on and then i realize that there's another song afterwards and 
that's kind of problematic. The other thing is, this is another one that like when I heard the live version, I was like, oh, I get it. This song actually kind of rips. But on the record, I just don't feel like it it delivers the way that it should, especially at this point in the record, because it's like one of the more kind of low energy songs. Yes. And it like, at dude, at this point in the record, you got to wrap it up, you know? Yeah, it's like, right. It's, this is it's, where it's too little too late at this point. Where you start to feel like there's just like, hey, where are we, where are we going? Do you know the length of this record? Do you want to guess? It's like 50 minutes, 55 almost. 75 minutes and 57 seconds. But that's with like the 15 minute hidden is track, it? I think. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Okay. Hold on. Let me look at this. Um, 5.58. Yo. Um, so, I mean, even if we s- caught the hidden track nonsense, we're still at like a, over an hour. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's, like, that's too long, man. Too long. Um, and I think you're right. On an individual and the way we listen to these records a little bit, um, when I was going through talking about each song, this is a cool song. It is it's, cool. It's textured. It's rich. It flirts with having too much going on. Like this is this is one of the more fun headphones listening songs that I've done. Yeah. Period. Because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of layers to this song. Um, but you know, it flirts with having too much going on. But the overall flow and it's not too high energy. It's just kind of right there. Um, it just keeps everything moving in the right direction. You're right. It could have been a closer, but I think what you might be consciously or subconsciously nudging at is this record should have wrapped up. It should have wrapped up. And there are better closers that you've already heard at this Uh, point. Then the closer, which is coming up. Yeah. And like, and, and, uh, I mean, I'll say this too. I don't think that there's a song on this record that I don't like, like it's actually really strong. But that being said, a lot of the songs, not a lot, maybe, I don't know, three songs, Mm -hmm. four songs, maybe could have been like sick B sides. Like if, if if Velvet Morning was a B side, I'd be like, Oh, this is like, this is sick. You know, to me, uh, you could B side catching the butterfly in the wilderness. Um, Velvet Morning and then the closer which we're going to talk about come on come on um Still more in that it feels more Brit, Brit pop of the time, but it fuzzes out and jams in a way to close the record. It's fine. It's, it's just fine. fine. Yeah. It doesn't. Um, it's not uh, my comment. It's not was, even it's a not, good closer. No, I'm not mad, but it's not a track. You know. Yeah. And this record has tracks. Like I, I'm not as like, hey, I like every song as you as as you are on the record. Yeah. But it's overall a really like the, even the songs I don't like, like, oh, this is really good, are are totally palatable. Um, yeah. and well done. And you can say that. And I'm not sad about listening to the whole album, except for the fact that it drags. Um and it's a little bit too long. And you feel it in the song links once you're deep into the record. Yeah. Yeah. Although I mean you mentioned at the beginning, like at no point am I like, oh, this record. But no. at the same time, it's just, it could have been a perfect record, I think. Um, come on to me, having listened to this record many, many times over like 20 years or whatever at this point. Yeah. Um, yo, I always shut it off after Velvet Morning. Be- there you be- go. Because I was just like, that's the closer. Like, come on sounds like a B-side that's tacked onto the record. 
Right. So you do an expanded edition of this 10 years after that has these weird little singles like, oh, yeah, here's the B-side off of Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, so all that said, and I, we, we kind of we usually try to do this in the beginning, but I was in a uh, breakfast burrito in, induced <laughs> uh, haze. Is this the reason is this the record you're going to listen to if you listen to the verve like is this the one i think undoubtedly it's like what's the record that follows this is called fourth is it worth checking out there are like two maybe three tracks on it and that might i might be stretching that because i really like this band yeah but overall yeah it's not great all right. Well, let's let's kind of let's. You probably you probably heard the radio hit off of it. It was called "Love Is Noise." Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure I did. You probably did because it was right. actually like fairly big at the time, like 2007 or something. But yeah, so it doesn't. <clears throat> sorry, it doesn't even sound like the Verve though. Like you wouldn't know it at first blush. Yeah, I believe that. It's and you can hear that as you listen to this record. Is that sonically they. They can go in a lot of direct directions. Um, Ashcroft has unique vocals and is clearly talented, but also has such a range that you realize like, hey, the next record they do, he might not sound recognizable to what you heard on this record, whether you like that or not. Yeah. So um, let's kind of go through and talk about this more holistically. Pete, is this record too long? Yes, undoubtedly. And the hard part is, is that there's a couple songs that were like eh, a little long, but when you look at the track times, some of these songs are just too long, and they go a minute too long. And in the song itself, maybe you don't notice it, but when you do the album listen, and if you're on listen two or three, you're like, "Yep, too long." Yep. That said, how does the album flow? Does it feel disjointed or slapped together at all? Yeah, I mean, to me, it kind of does. I mean, that goes to my point about rearranging it. I think the whole thing could be completely rearranged. Do you have any specific ideas with that? So I think you have to open with Bittersweet Symphony. Okay. Um, from there, I feel like you can go, you have to keep the energy up a little bit. I feel like you could almost jump right into, right into the rolling people. Um, or, hmm. No, you can't do this time right there. Um, although it has that kind of like bouncy energy that could work. That feels like a track five to me. If we were going to yeah, do a full yeah, it's a later, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a like, mid to later track. Yeah. Yeah. You just, cause you you want to pick up the record. You don't want to leave it yeah. low on energy either. Yeah. Um, I would have to think about that. And I actually yeah. meant to do that before the episode and I didn't, but, um, no, I mean, so, so to me, um, Sonnet is a really good song, but would be a great track seven too, to be honest, like a, like, Ooh, deep cut gem. Awesome. Yeah. And some of the energy that they are going for with a song like neon wilderness, where it's like, Oh, it's just kind of like this more atmospheric energy. You'll lose that. Cause you almost don't hear that anywhere else on the record. Yeah. Um, holy, like I think some of that can be found in moments in Britpop but it's more organic than it feels on this track. So you lose a track like that, you replace it with the the song Sonnet, and you just you get some different tempo and, and texture changes as you go through. Um, you drop the the closer, you drop come on. And I think that the you know, um, a lot of times you end up with records that are mainstream popular that are front loaded. This record feels like the back end has some strength to it, oh, but yeah. it takes so long to get there. Yep. You're 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 wasted on it. So here's what I'll say. I'll I'll say that I agree with like ninety-nine percent of what you just said, pretty much, but like come on, I could take or leave, honestly. Like I might mm-hmm. even cut it completely. Yeah. Velvet Morning, great B side. Mm-hmm. Um, one day, I think make that the closing track. Okay. Um, space and time maybe b-side oh wow if you take that off the record yeah like, I that's really just like, like that that's a great b-side um because i would either want space and time or 
one day to be the closer. So whichever mm-hmm. one isn't the closer mm-hmm. should be the B side. Um, you move, you move weeping willow f- up higher in the order. I think weeping willow goes up higher. I think yeah. ne- neon wilderness. We just cut completely. Um, catching, catching the butterflies, the butterflies B side. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And yeah, so we could then, make this like an eight song record that, that just smokes eight song, like 35, 40 one, minute two, record. Two, and it's like four, the best four, record. Six, yeah i think you could eight or nine songs and yeah right in that 35 40 minute because 75 minute you really just feel that bloated 90s like yeah we've got cds this is what we do yeah um okay uh quality of the songs and lyrics are memorable songs and how do they stand up against their contemporaries um i'll start here by saying uh, bittersweet symphony is clearly memorable it's like if there's a top hundred songs of the 90s it's probably on there if, some, if there's a top 50 songs in the 90s it's almost assuredly on there yeah if there's a top 25 songs of the 90s it probably sneaks in there yeah um it just might and and i think the deeper cuts on the record have a lot of quality um and i said i like uh the the lyrical content is from good to very strong Mm-hmm. and worth listening to so um and and you're right you know what it's funny uh do i like oasis more than this undoubtedly i like oasis more um do i like stone roses more undoubtedly they're better uh do i like this as much as if not more than blur yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's right there that's kind of the place where i would situate it some of the other stuff you talk about like do I like this more than Ride? I don't know. It's been a long time. Huh. Yeah, I, th- I think <sighs> you know of, I mean? think of Ride as like, yeah, I mean, it's all it's all interesting. I'd be curious to go into those records at some point with you. Because yeah, Ride are definitely like more psychedelic at different points, but maybe not. I don't know, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Or Pulp or Suede. I don't know your thoughts on those bands, but... Yeah, it's... it's um like but can't remember the last time i put on like reached for it you know what i mean fair yeah um so uh timelessness pete we're revisiting uh we usually save it i brought up at the beginning does this strictly exist in a time place or does its influence and impact spread much further yeah i mean we kind of talked about this like you said i I think that it still sounds very good. I think from a production sound standpoint, it sounds really good. I, at the same time, I don't know that many people are pulling from the verve in 2022. No, me neither. But you know, uh, I think the production stands the test of time. I think some of the song quality does, but at the same time, there's a lot of the ephemera characteristic and the fact that bittersweet symphony is so attached to the time you know what i mean it's like yeah does nirvana never mind like is it timeless yeah it is does it also really exist in a time and place because it's so um un you can't break the bond between that record in the 90s yeah yeah you know so so there's a little bit of that here too as well as like the bloated length the fact that Britpop was such a defining characteristic of this time. So I, I think it does, it deserves some timelessness in terms of quality, mm-hmm. but in characteristics, it's also of a time and place. For sure. Um, one quick fun fact that I found out while reading about this for this episode. Did you know that Youth from Killing Joke produced like the majority of this record? I did. Isn't that weird? I didn't know that. Yeah. Kind of blew my mind. And I was trying to go through and see like what tracks because he did uh, maybe sixty percent. I don't know something yeah, like something that of like the record. That, yeah. Um. It's it's really weird. And I was you know may, there's probably something we could find in the sound, but I wasn't totally connecting on that. So yeah, yeah. Um. Presentation. So the artwork. Does the artwork fit the music? Is it memorable? Um. It fits the music. Is it memorable? Ah. Uh, it's no. fine. Yeah, it's it's like, dude, it's like the artwork is terrible. It's like firmly just like 90s photos of the dude. Although I will say that the cover of this album is what got me to buy my first pair of Clarks. So there's that. Well, there's that. Uh, yeah. Um, but that being said, I, I felt that way until I actually, again, was reading for this episode and Richard Ashcroft was asked about the artwork and he was like, listen, listen to the fucking record. Who cares about the artwork? It's not a it's like he's like, I just wanted a photo because like. 
it's not about the art. It's about the music, you know? And I was like, all right, fair enough. So fair enough. Uh, the word mark for the band in the title is stupid. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind. He, he, the shoes look cool. He looks cool. And I think that's kind of a part yeah, they of look this. Cool. They yeah. look cool. Um, yeah, no, it's not, it's not memorable. It's just, it's, it's, I don't it, love the name of the album either, to be honest. I feel like they could have picked a more like there, there's a lot of li- interesting lyrical content here and like the names of the songs have interesting names but like urban feels hymns inco- feels incongruous with yeah, the sound. Yeah, it does kind yep. of. Yep. Yep, I agree with that. But I, I <sighs> It's interesting cuz you kind of talked about like the baggy stuff and then sort of where the stone roses were and it was like even some of the more popular stuff like in the U.S., by the '90s, rock music was strictly a suburban activity, right? Yeah. Um, you know, hip hop, rap had really taken over the idea of an, any sort of urban space sound, sound. You know, but there was this feeling that, like, the rock, the British rock and Britpop and like shoegaze stuff, did have this more ur- city center like feeling. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about that. So, so to me. I don't hate the title, but it doesn't feel totally congruous. But I think that might be uh, my vantage point to it. Yeah, that's more fair. So, you know, that's fair. All right. So, um, my last question: We didn't talk about this to start. Is this record relevant? Uh, tough, right? Yeah, I mean, not really. I know. I think it's really good, but it's like, um, is it the? fourth record of this broad speaking umbrella style that you would give someone maybe it's not the first it's not the first i mean it's when not you the second it's when, not the third I, 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 I mean i was again like in in kind of getting ready for this episode i was looking at the other kind of brit pop adjacent records that came out this year mm-hmm. and it's funny because like Oasis and Blur and all those bands were obviously still huge, but it was like it was the tail end of that. Yes. Because this is the year that Oasis put out Be Here Now, which was just I I like a lot of songs on that, but that was like a universal disappointment. Yep. And I think that this record like is so much stronger than that. Like Yeah, I don't think it's the the highs on this record are so much higher than Be Here Now. So would you um what's the first Brit pop record you would hand someone? Oh man! I mean, yeah. I mean, if the Stone Roses count, I would hand on the Stone Roses. Right. But if we're if we're talking like the height of it, yeah, I I kind of think I have to be obvious and say definitely maybe. Yeah, I think so too. Like I was gonna say, if you count Stone Roses, I know it's earlier, and it's like you know, calling it Brit Pop's tough. It's like proto Brit Pop, right? And it's kind of something else, but whatever. Like uh, Stone Roses, I think then you go to Oasis. Yeah. I don't and know then, that this record hits top four. I, I, I yeah, would you give I would it, have to think would about Would you that. do the third? Like, like because, um, like, to be honest, if you're going to do Definitely Maybe, which I really like a lot, like, do you not do What's the Story? Right? Is that the next one? Right? Yeah, that's the next one. They're, I mean, they're both, they're both so strong. I think Blur have a lot of, yeah, I think I Blur, Blur have a lot of strong records. Like, Modern Life is Rubbish is great. Um, suede, Dogman Star, I, like there's a lot, but yeah, I don't know. It, it would have to be definitely maybe. I think though. Okay, so all that said, and we kind of have undercut this record a bit, despite both of us enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, um, giving this a rating out of one to five stars, five being the best. What are you going to give it? This is tough because the highs on this are so high for me. That matters. Yeah. Um, and again, like, I think this could have been a five. Whoa, really? Yeah. Like, I think that, again, like, I, I have to think about it, but I think if this was arranged the right way, it could be a five star record for me. Um, so that being said, I think I have to give it a four because okay. I'm tempted to give it a three, but I just, no, I you hate, like I, I hate giving threes, but like, yeah, I love this record. I've gone back to it over and over and over again for a long time now. So yeah, I'm going to go with a four. Um, depending on the day, I might say a three, but for today I'm giving it a four. All right. I'm going to give it a three and a half. 
It's good. It's really wow. good. All right. Um, the songs I didn't know, there's stuff I'll come back to. Um, I was particularly taken by Sonnet. Uh, Rolling People, again, grew on me. Space and Time, I thought was a really good song. And, you know, even even going through to like one day and then the 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 sonic experience of velvet morning was nice so um it gets a three and a half from me um cool i go back to it often probably not but i do like those songs and and found this to be a nice listening experience awesome i'm glad to hear it are you gonna add it to your collection though (sighs) here's my question pete (laughs) is there original vinyl for this yeah is it expensive? Yes, <laughs> but you so, can find a you can find a repress for like twenty bucks. I don't need the repress. Original. Here's my answer: original only, cheap. <laughs> I, I, it has to be a score. It has to here, how you can put in the 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 blast is uh, um, a good deal only. <laughs> Fair. What enough. about you? You own it original? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm not like I know you're not original. I, I know I'm not, you're not. I'm not like hot on the OG stuff because I, I just I, I don't I don't care to a certain extent. I just want it on vinyl. But um, do you have a good a good copy? Not only do I have the double LP, I have like the box set reissue version that has like all the B sides and a live set and like all that stuff. So yeah, I'm a fan. Do you think the box set's worth it? Always an important I do, question. Yeah, because the B sides are sick. All right, and the it's, live it's, set is sick. It's under heavy consideration. Everybody, follow us at TracksPod on Instagram and Twitter. And Pete, where do you want them to send us emails? Email us at trackspod at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Another dream, another chance This day